TJ was a man possessed. It was almost like he got paid a lot of money to do that or something. <laughs> You're now listening to the Wandering Buffalo podcast with your hosts, Andrew Chang and Justin Goddard. Hello and welcome to the Wandering Buffalo podcast, a show on the built-in Buffalo network. My name is Andrew Chang, and alongside me, as always, is my co-host, Justin Goddard. Today, we're going to recap the week one loss against the Pittsburgh Steelers, so we're going to give our offensive and defense highlights and lowlights, and just our overall feelings and takeaways. Then after that, we're going to preview our week two matchup against the Miami Dolphins, how they did you know, in week one against their matchup against the Patriots, what we think what they think of themselves according to their uh, media team, what we want to see, what we don't want to see, and then, of course, our game day predictions. As always, you can find us on most social media platforms by searching up the Wanting Buffalo podcast, and you can also find us on YouTube. And in addition, you can always find us as well as other amazing shows by looking up the built-in Buffalo network. Before we get into it, Justin, how are you doing today? I'm doing all right. Um... Better today than yesterday. I've I've licked the wounds a bit, and uh, I've l- I've looked at the loss with uh, some clearer lenses. But we'll get into that. How are you? I am. I'm doing okay. You know, I just finished watching Monday Night Football, where you know the former Buffalo Bill Zay Jones came clutch for a Derek Carr. <laughs> what, an insane what a wild! Ending. Yeah, like and. I, I was gonna say that week one is usually usually a little weird, but let that sink in, Bills Mafia. Zay Jones got the game-winning touchdown for Derek Carr and the Raiders to win over Lamar Jackson. <laughs> like, what a weird and oh, and Jameis Winston had a five-touchdown game. It was just a weird week in general. So, very interesting. <laughs> we're on. So to that's Miami. how we're gonna lead off. Yeah, yeah, we're on to Miami. <laughs> Anyways, let's get off, uh, let's start off rather, about recapping this game that we lost to the Steelers. And we'll start with the offense here, and we'll start with Josh Allen. And in my opinion, I felt like Josh was trying to do a little too much. And there was a lot of comparisons out there that, you know, Josh was trying to be more like 2019 Josh, where he wasn't taking what the defense was giving him and it was just like he was always playing to make up for the misplay before that he messed up on. And, you know, you can't go broke with making a profit. So I agree with that. There were some open throws that he could have made. But placement wasn't perfect. Accuracy wasn't all there. And I was just kind of bummed out on some of the deeper throws that he didn't connect on, specifically that deep shot to Emmanuel Sanders that he overthrew, which we've seen him do kind of often um, now as a NFL quarterback, which isn't ideal for a $42.5 million man. But uh, I know Josh is more than what we saw on Sunday, and if you're a fan of the Buffalo Bills, you 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 know that he's better than this. So, all in all, I think it was just a bad day for Josh, and I'm not riding too too high on his lows, if that makes any sense. Yeah. So, 
I did obviously have this game predicted as a win, um, but I did think it was going to be a tough outing with Pittsburgh. If we look back to last year, um, you know, the first time we played them, Josh had a very similar game to where he was really struggling with the defense. And then even when we see them in the playoffs, you know, if you we're talking one Taron Johnson interception, ridiculous play away from like, do we even win that game? Um, so I think I think there was a lot of riding high with the expectations of this offseason that it was like a four it's like a foregone conclusion that we're back in the AFC championship game. You know, we have the Steelers week one. Well that's a win because we can't lose a game. Um, so I do think that we are riding a little bit too high and for us and the team in general that it's almost like a like a week one heat check that maybe just kind of puts the whole season back into a different perspective of the we're really back at square one we haven't done anything this season nobody owes us anything yeah and i agree and just to kind of add to that all the credit to the steelers and their coaching staff and whatnot, because they, and Sean McDermott acknowledges right off the bat when he talked to me, like they outcoached and outplayed us flat out. Like there's just no excuse for what happened. And I would, I think that this, this game, or at least the start of the season is in terms of expectation, the highest I have ever had as a Bills fan. And I think that's why it hurts a lot for us to start off on the wrong foot. But I will mind some of the Bills Mafia that, you know, last year Tom Brady and the Bucks started off with the L against the Saints. And if I remember that game correctly, they got beat pretty bad. But look what happened. They turned it around. They used that as fuel and adapt. And if it's one thing that I know about McDermott and this regime is that they learn, they grow, and they move on until the next problem arises. So I'm very confident that they're able to bounce back from this. Uh, moving on, we're, that O-line was horrendous. They were getting abused all day, Justin. Like, I guess the best person on there was Daryl Williams, maybe, I guess. But he had to guard TJ Watt the entire time. So how, how good are you going to look against that dude? You know, he kind of held him in check the last time around but this time it, it was just like tj was a man possessed it was almost like he got paid a lot of money to do that or something <laughs> and when i watched i went back and watched the film a little bit not one player on that offensive line was up to par like the guards were super super bad Deion Dawkins I'm gonna give him a little bit of a pass since he's still kind of bouncing back from COVID but he he struggled against an aged veteran like Melvin Ingram who was sitting out in the free agency for quite some time so I was a little discouraged to see that and they just couldn't buy Josh any time back there so I just I just had a really hard time taking anything positive away, any positive points to take away from that offensive line performance. Yeah, I I will say Melvin Ingram was sitting out there for a long time, but 
it, had we not had the draft that we had where we brought in Basham and Rousseau, he's definitely a dude that I wanted the Bills to target. Uh, I do think he still has quite a bit left in the tank. And then you're talking Cameron Hayward in there, TJ Watt as an absolute game wrecker. Um, so I do think that that's one of the strengths of their of the Steelers is their defensive front. Um, that being said, yeah, the offensive line was not good. Um, the guard play was something I was concerned about going into the season. There's not very many position groups on this team that I have concerns about, but it was, you know, the cornerback to cornerback depth and the interior line play. And even went as far as to roll out some wild scenario of we see Spencer Brown at some point playing tackle, Feliciano gets benched, and we have Daryl Williams at guard. Something like that doesn't seem so far off because, you know, I like Feliciano as a guy in the locker room and a run blocker, but it seems like our two guards are their strength is is supposed to be run blocking for a team that ran the ball between all the all the running backs and Josh Allen combined, what, 15, 18 times, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something where we kind of have the pieces we have, so it's there's not much you can do to upgrade that position once the season starts. So I would like to see some sort of scenario where we, we lean a little bit more into pass blocking there than having guys that run block. But also that that game plan, I wouldn't have been opposed to seeing some more carries. Um, I saw my brother sent me a statistic today that uh, over the course of the whole game, the Steelers called one blitz. So, I mean, they were dropping everybody back in coverage and bringing four every time. You know, maybe maybe their whole game plan was knowing that we were going to try to throw the ball all, all over the yard. So maybe that was a game plan where we should have been sprinkling a little bit more run. Yeah, we'll definitely get to the defensive side of the football in, in just a moment here. Um, but I just want to talk about these receivers real, real quick in terms of the offense. And it was clear that they made, a, they made digs a priority. So they had Minko really follow him over the top, and then whoever was underneath them just kind of bracketed him the entire time so he got a lot of attention couldn't really break away and there wasn't a lot of yak opportunity for digs which you know all right you're going to devote two people to digs that should free up people like beasley sanders um davis knox and you know the other weapons on the team but we saw beasley drop like one or two passes which is something i have not Seen, I, I which I personally didn't think was possible from a guy like Beasley after last season, and then Sanders, you know, I thought he actually played really well. He was able to break free for that deep pass, which I mentioned earlier, but you know, Josh couldn't connect on it. Um, he also had that really bad drop up the seam where I I don't, I don't really know if it was really bad because it was up the seam and Josh put it put it right on him. He just didn't pull it in fast enough so uh the defensive back was able to uh you know swat it out of sanders hands which is kind of you know defeating considering we really really needed that at the moment 
you know, Gabe Davis, I, I thought he was very quiet outside of his like third down conversion and then touchdown, which happened to be the only highlight, you know, touchdown that we had by him. Uh, so I did like his performance, I guess. But in general, it just felt felt like the receivers weren't in sync. Yeah, this seemed like a, a defensive game plan, like you said, to to take Diggs away. And I think they did a decent job at that. I think he still had an okay game for, you know, how much extra attention he was getting. Um, the one Beasley drop in particular, it, it was coming back on a holding play anyways, but... It, it looked like he like almost like spiked the ball into the ground. I don't know. It was very strange. Like like you said, he's got some of the most sure hands, not only on this team, but in a good part of the league. So a little concerning, but I'm not going to, not going to go too far into that yet. Um, he was the best slot receiver in the league last year. So hopefully it's just a little, a little hiccup there. Um, my main takeaway with the receivers was, was Gabe Davis though. Um, I I know it's partially a benefit of him being the number four receiver with all the talent ahead of him, but it just really seems like every time he ends up on the field, he's finding ways to make plays. Um, he's got some sort of connection with Josh where they just, the play starts breaking down and Gabe knows where Josh wants him to be. And it, it ends up resulting in a lot of big plays. Um, I understand he's not, the number two on this team right now, but also Emmanuel Sanders had him out snap like two to one, like double the percentage of snaps. And I, I would just like to see a little bit more involvement in Gabe Davis. I think he took great strides last year and I think he's been consistently earning his way onto the field and I'm ready to see a bit more from Davis. Yeah, a little more Gabe Davis doesn't sound like the worst thing in the world to me, and I'll I'll get to this statistic in just a moment. You know what? I'll I'll break it out now. So I was listening to the Buffalo Beat with Joe Piscalia and Matt Matt Bove because you know Matthew Fairburn is now a beat reporter for um, or he he does something for the Athletic for the Patriots now, which is kind of sad because that's that's one of my favorite podcasts. But he pulled out a statistic towards the start of that podcast where you know the Steelers were thinking okay what are the Bills going to do to beat us they'll look at last year's tape and they set four receivers out and like one running back and they did that like 17% of the time I guess the last time they matched up but this time they did it more than double the time and it amounted to practically nothing from which what which is obvious because what we saw on Sunday and it to me it's just like running your head into a wall over and over and over not shaking the fact that hey this this might not work today and this is my real problem because I I don't necessarily blame the players because I know we have the the horses in the stable to win to to win that game I, I kind of put this more on coaching and play calling. So I, I just thought that it, the Bills are trying to do something that in the past worked in 2020 or in 2021 right now. Like, we can't do that. 
So it it just felt like the Steelers adjusted and the Bills were kind of stubborn in their game planning and it just was too late by the time they kind of figured it out. Yeah, and I I do think there's going to be a little bit of an adjustment um, this season with you know teams getting a full season of tape on us. You know, it's it's never a game on somebody's schedule where they're like, you know, kind of looking past us. We're going to get everybody's best effort because they know who we are now. Um, mm-hmm. That being said, you know, um, there was some questionable calls from Dable. I think he definitely didn't really do too much for adjustments like you like you had mentioned. Um, but I'm going to give him some benefit for the time being because he he did do the game planning and uh, play calling for the team last year that set franchise records for points. So I do think the Steelers have a good defense. I also think that we didn't do enough in the way of adjustments to to kind of combat the fact that what we were doing last year wasn't working on Sunday and, and there had to be some sort of pivot. Right. Well, you know, a bright spot on the offense was actually Dawson Knox, who went four for four, and he he looked pretty good. He even converted some, I believe, two third downs where he had to get some uh, yak in order to do it. So Dawson Knox looked pretty good to me, and Singletary, and I think he looked good for the most part, I, although I didn't really like how he fumbled kind of going out of bounds twice. You know, once was like, all right, you think he would be like, all right, maybe I should hold on to that just in case. Then he does it again. It just makes me nervous and that he was like kind of easing up at the end of the run, which he shouldn't be doing considering that we were playing from behind. So uh, I thought he did good today, but I don't know. Maybe there was a lack of effort towards the end of it, and maybe there wasn't, but I, I don't know. I It just seemed like nothing was going right towards the Bills' way it was just kind of a bummer. Yeah, I mean, seeing those, I I noticed those ones too. It, it seemed like he almost was like, I'm um, going out of bounds, like, and he was like going to catch himself or something and just let go of the ball along the way. Uh, that football bounces in weird ways, man. If it catches just like just inside the sideline and takes a weird bounce back, I, I wasn't a fan. I'm not a fan of ever seeing the ball on the ground. Mm-hmm. I do think Singletary played a good game. Um, average something like six and a half yards to carry. Um, but the running back room, somebody that didn't play, I was, I was a little head scratching with the uh, inactive Zach Moss. Um, personally, we we had Tommy Sweeney activated and and not Zach Moss, and I see a lot of trying to get Singletary involved in the passing game, and that's actually somewhere where I've locked. I've liked how Moss looks better in that role. He seems like a more natural receiver than Singletary. It always looks like Singletary's got some like some effort to being a receiver. And when he gets the ball and he's in the open field, he's a dynamic player. Um, but I I just look at like the that wild fourth and one backwards whatever play that was. I don't even want to talk about that one. Uh, but that seems like a type of situation where maybe if you had Zach Moss, you're just pounding it right up the middle trying to get that yard. Um, I don't think we see Moss inactive next week. I think we see him. Yeah, so 
I understand why the Bills put Zach Moss or didn't dress Zach Moss. And all right, so what was the complaint all last season? We we have no speed out of the backfield. We have no speed. We get a guy like Breida with speed. And then we have Taiwan Jones. He you know he's dressing for a special team dynamic. And then we have Reggie Gilliam, the I guess emergency tight end and fullback versatile kind of player. And then it really just kind of comes down to, okay, are the Bills really going to dress four running backs? It just, I don't know. It, it kind of made sense to me that they were going to scratch one of the two. And I think that Singletary had a much better preseason than Zach Moss did. So I, I, I get why they did it. And then you already mentioned that, that fourth down, fourth and one play where they tried doing something. They tried going for a big play with Gilliam in the backfield, and it just it was it was disgusting. Like, you have Josh Allen, who's so good in those fourth and one situations, and he was trying to be cute about it. It was a high-risk, high-reward play, and unfortunately it did not pan out the way that um, Brian Dable Hall had Hoped it, hoped it would be. Yeah, that, so. that was definitely my least favorite part of the whole game. Was just, mm. I, I'm just like trying to think back of like how many times last year we were faced with like a third and in inches, fourth and one, fourth and two, whatever. Like how many times we've just let Josh take the ball and go forward with it. And for the life of me, I can't remember the last time that he was denied on one of those plays. And he had one earlier in the game. I think it was a, a third and one. And he kept it mm-hmm. up the middle, and he got like three, four yards. So for yeah. for me, that's kind of like the bread and butter in that situation. And until somebody stops it, that's I want to see that play and not a backwards lateral six yards behind the line of scrimmage that could have been a fumble on all that jazz. Give me it straight up the middle. Yeah. Well, let's transition to the defensive side of the football in this game. And overall, I thought they had actually a pretty good day. Like, the defensive line uh, got to bend once or twice. You know, we unfortunately, we didn't get the, um, the fumble recovery off of Mario Addison. But the pressure was there. I thought the linebackers did an outstanding job. Uh, Najee Harris didn't blow blow up the game, which I had a feeling wouldn't happen because of their offensive line. But the Bills really dialed into that and kept him in check. I thought the safety did, safeties did really well. And if there's one thing I'm going to poke at this defense is the cornerback depth, I guess. You know, and... Uh, I, I like I really like Levi Wallace, but this these type of receivers that I was going up against like Chase Claypool and the shifty ones like Deontay Thompson with a little little bit of um, who's who's very quick, I feel like are the hardest receivers for Levi to keep up with. Because he'll get big boyed or he'll get his hips turned and then it's over. But in general I it, I thought that the Bills' defense actually had a pretty good day, and Leslie Fazier had drawn up 
a relatively strong plan because their offense only got 16 points if I am if I'm not mistaken yeah that, that's what I was gonna say they they did you know you hold any team in the NFL to 16 points offensively you know especially when you have all the talent we have on the off- offensive side of the ball I think if I told most people before that game that hey we're gonna hold the Steelers to 16 you think the Bills win I I think the resounding answer would be a pretty emphatic yes. I know they did end up with 23 points, but I'm not putting that one against the defense. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was very, I was encouraged by the run defense. I know they kind of have a little bit of a porous offensive line, but um, even without star in the game, I think we did a really good job of keeping the linebackers free. Um, if you take out one of the runs from Najee Harris where he went for like 16, 20 yards, something like that. Uh, on the day, he had like 15 carries, averaging like just over a yard per carry. So I think they did a really good job there. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't expect to see a crazy amount from the pass rush as far as actually getting home, just based on that whole offense being predicated on the ball coming out of Ben's hands. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think they did flash at times. You know, they weren't necessarily getting to the quarterback, but they were generating some sort of pressure. And then yeah. just kind of as far as Levi Wallace goes, I mean, you you know that's a position I wanted to upgrade this offseason, at least bring in some some real bona fide competition for him. Um, but I think overall he had he had a decent day. I mean you have the the one touchdown to Deontay Johnson, back corner of the end zone. I mean, he's there in coverage. That's it's a perfect pass. It, both sides of the ball are getting p- paid to make plays, you know? And, yeah, you know, he does give up catches, but he's a very sure tackler. He's always he's always there after they catch the ball and he makes the tackle. So I think it's the same thing as we said last year in all offseason. When you're playing opposite a tray, you're going to get picked on all game and you're going to give up catches, you're going to give up yards. It's just kind of limiting those opportunities. But I was overall pleased with the defense. Yeah, me too. And just to touch a little bit more on Levi, and I don't think the Bills necessarily did him any favors as well because they focused so much on the run game and, you know, bottling up Najee, in my opinion, that it led to a lot of man coverage defense, which you and I both know this team is more of a zone-based scheme defense. So they kind of played to their weaknesses and almost left Levi, for the most part, out there on on his own island. And unfortunately, he got he got torched a couple times. Now you did mention that that touchdown to Deontay Johnson was highly contested, and I actually thought Levi played that pretty well. He like tipped the ball, if I'm not mistaken. But Deontay Johnson, who had drop issues all last year somehow mustered up enough concentration and focus to readjust and get the ball off that tip pass and keep his feet in bounds. So credit to him for making that play. It, it was not an easy catch. 
and I thought Levi played that pretty well. Same same thing with that defensive PI that they called on him against Claypool. I, I thought he played that perfect. People say turn your head around, but if he does that, then it just creates more separation for the wide receiver and the defensive back. I I, I, I don't know. I just didn't agree with the, with the penalties. And that kind of transitions us to the last part of the recapping this game and that's special teams and outlogging coaching and you know i guess refereeing in here uh but before we get started do you want to say anything about that about that oh uh, no i think you pretty much covered it i did just want to throw in there um taron johnson i thought had a good game oh yeah I, real real strong game from taron yeah. i thought he did he, real well he was all over the place he was you know, really excelling at what we see Taron Johnson for the last mm-hmm. couple of years be really good at helping out in the run game. A couple times where mm-hmm. he did get beaten in his past coverage, but I think overall he was kind of a guy I've been on the fence about, and I thought he looked pretty mm-hmm. good. Yeah, and lastly, at Oliver, I thought he'd had a pretty decent game. I've been telling you guys, he he, he was good. He was good, so... Um, I'm looking forward to seeing him uh, pan out in the rest of the season. Well, let's transition to special teams and coaching. Uh, we, we already talked about coaching. There was just McDermott wasn't at his highest. Leslie was definitely dialed in in terms of the defense. But offensively, it just wasn't there. It, it just it was lackluster. And I don't know if you want to say anything more about Dable, but... It just I, I just did not enjoy um, the preparation and the failure to adjust. Yeah, I pretty much pretty much said my thoughts on Dable, um, but yeah. yeah, just the kind of the ability to adjust to what you're seeing out there, what's working, what's not working. Um, mm-hmm. You know, just got to be willing to change a little bit and kind of right from the rip when you when you see. Isaiah McKenzie take that kick return back to the red zone and and we come away with five yards and three points. I, I was like, okay, well, we got to start the adjustments now, and I just never really felt like we had quite the adjustments we needed. Yeah, and perfect transition because we're going to talk about the spe- special teams. Overall, I think McKenzie as a punt returner, pretty well or just a returner in general and some of those kicks were meant for him to take out of the end zone and tested him on catching it and he did a great job especially on that first play you know he was able to read his blocks and get us very very deep into Steelers territory now as you mentioned we did nothing with that except for Tyler Bass field goal it was a little defeating but McKenzie fielded everything perfectly fine he even fielded that ball that you know it looked like he injured his shoulder and had to go into the locker room for and then came back so that was interesting and in terms of kickers I think Matt Hawk did pretty well consistently punted well didn't out punt his coverage and Tyler Bass perfect for the day very good but you know what we got to talk about here. Mm. But before we talk about it, you know, you want to mention anything from what I just, uh, from my talking points? Uh, no, I, I would agree with you. I think McKenzie did a good job fielding punts. I think there was, there was one that bounced kind of like at 
in the 15 to 18 yard line range um, that he kind of did like the fair catch signal and moved out of the way for it. And it ended up rolling back like inside our 10. Um, Mm I thought he had plenty of room to catch that cleanly. And I, I would have liked to see him catch that instead of letting it go. But it, Kind of seems like a ticky tacky complaint, um, but yeah, the Matt Hawk looked good punting, and until he didn't look good punting, and you know that the blocked punt, I'm not going to say falls on him. That was a whole cluster of a play in general. Mm-hmm. It did seem like he was took like an extra step in there. It it seemed like the ball was was in the backfield longer than I see on most punts, and I. I have to look at that whole play again. I I don't want to, but I feel like there was something with Hawk there that the ball didn't come out very quickly. I don't blame Matt Hawk for that blocked punt, mainly because when I looked at that play again, it looked like the Steelers kind of shuffled their their defensive line in a way that kind of confused the blocking assignments for Reed Ferguson and company. So it was able to get a free rusher. So I like, if you look back at that play, Reed Ferguson is looking to the left and you can just tell right when he realizes, Oh, I was supposed to block that guy. Or maybe it wasn't him, but you can just tell he's like, Oh crap. Cause when you look back at the replay, He's just staring back behind him, and Matt Hogg doesn't feel it because you know he's trying to focus on kicking the kicking the football. That this guy is just running up the middle untouched and is able to block the punt and, as we know, score it for a touchdown. And it was just unfortunate because I think that was really the nail in the coffin and completely took the air out of the Bills. Certainly took the air out of my sails. And yeah, that there's you can't put that play on any one person. That was, it was like that one book series I used to read. It was the Lemony Snickets <laughs> series of unfortunate events. There, there, there was a whole myriad of things that went wrong for the play to end up looking like it did. You know, not only did usually when you see like a blocked punt, it's like you know one guy got back there and takes some time for the ball to get recovered. Like the ball got blocked, and there was like five Steelers players fighting over who was about to score that touchdown. So Mm -hmm. wasn't a good one. Yeah. Any, any other final thoughts about this game before we preview the Dolphins game? I'm just my overall, after I got out of my emotions yesterday, you know, I, I ended up getting some last minute tickets to the game and I forgot the, the pain of walking out of the stadium after a loss, you know, especially one that looks like it, you know, oh, maybe we can get an onside kick and do something. You know, the crowd's all still there and just the agony of walking out of the stadium and then sitting in an hour and a half of traffic and, of course, driving back to Rochester, just just sulking. Um, but, Brutal. yeah, it was rough. But, I mean, overall, I think we could all agree that that is far from our team's best effort. And... Pittsburgh was a playoff team last year. They were what, 11 and 0 at some point uh, last year. So no slouch of a team and far from our best effort, you know, outside of 
one of the wackiest plays you see in football with like a punt block return for a touchdown. The game was even by the end of it. So, Mm -hmm. you know, after I got out of my feelings, kind of looking at it through that lens of really with the brand of football that we've gotten used to seeing, I had expect to have had no business being in that game. And we were right there on the doorstep, so right. it's only one week. Yeah, yeah, it's only one week. And again, I just felt like the Bills overlooked this game a lot. Or maybe the game planning was just that poor. In any event, the expectation of this game was so sky high. And this expectation of this season is still sky high. But to come out of that game laying an egg is very defeating and it's almost it's also very disappointing when you see some people in bill's mafia kind of go like aha there it is i knew it about josh allen he sucks he sucks he sucks or i knew it about x y and z they suck it it's just why why do you got to be toxic? I went, on, <laughs> you know? I went on Twitter for like six minutes after the game and stumbled through mm-hmm. like, let's bench Allen for Trubisky, fire Dayball. I was like, okay, yep, we're not doing this today. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, come on. You, we're talking about a guy who broke Jim Kelly records. <laughs> like, you, do you really got to put other people down just to put yourself higher up and sound so smart. Like there's a reason why these people are paid millions and millions and millions more dollars than any of us. So I trust them to make the right decisions as again, I'm not an expert. I just can only take what I can make my observations around, uh, what's around me and just make notes. Uh, but like I said, I know, that this team likes to learn and adapt under McDermott and this regime. And I hope they do because next week isn't going to get really any easier. But before we get into that, let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. Welcome back, everyone. We're going to wrap up today's episode by previewing sorry, the game against the Miami Dolphins. So this game is going to be played at Hard Rock Stadium at 1 p.m. It's supposed to be 89 degrees, scattered thunderstorms, and 11-mile-per-hour winds, and it's probably going to be humid, humid, humid. <laughs> so we're going to break down the Dolphins, and let's start with their Week 1 win. They are currently the division leaders because they beat the Mac Jones-led Patriots, which I guess is good for them uh, because Brian Flores finally got his win over his former boss, being Bill Belichick. And now they got a target on their back, and hopefully Josh Allen and company can take them down. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I'm excited for this matchup. Um, we've really had the Dolphins' numbers since getting Josh in the building, getting this coaching staff in the building. Um, And originally looking at the schedule, I was like, you know, there's a win. But this Miami team, it's really well coached. Uh, I think Brian Flores is one of the better coaches in the game. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of it falls on Tua, so we'll see what he's got, you know, week two of this season. But 
Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be another another tight game, probably more competitive than a lot of people expect it to be going in. For sure, for sure. So, again, I did some uh, background digging and diving in terms of how Dolphins media views like their strengths and weaknesses of this current team. And I found an article by uh, Sportskeeda, and they listed some five five of their strengths and four of their uh, weaknesses. I took away their fifth weakness just because I don't really necessarily agree with it, but I'll kind of get into that later. Let's start with their strengths, and rounding out number one, they drafted Jalen Waddell. So Jalen Waddell, as we know, was a highly viewed wide receiver coming out of the draft. And he's already had a good start to his young NFL career. He caught four out of six targets for 61 yards and a touchdown against the Patriots. He's got the speed to take the lid off of a defense. And not to mention he has that established continuity with Tua. So this wide receiver room is starting to round out. You got Waddell. You got Devontae Parker. Oh, and uh, Will Fuller comes back. So they they got speed on uh, in the wide receiver room. Yeah, the the speed that they added at at the wide receiver position is, if I was a fan of the team, something I'd be really excited about. Um, as the opposition, especially in the speed deficiency that we have in our quarter cornerback room, it does scare me a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. But it's also predicated on is Tua willing to get the ball there and is he able to, um, which we haven't really seen a ton of yet. Um, so I'm not overly concerned there yet, but I I do think Jalen Waddell is a scary player teamed up against with a guy like Will Fuller and then Devontae Parker. I think Devontae Parker's an, an underrated receiver in the league. I think he's very talented. Yeah, he I mean, I, I like what I really do actually like all the wide receivers that the Dolphins have. Not to mention I think they still have what's his name, Grant, like those little small shifty Kim Grant, Albert Wilson yeah. is in there, I believe. Yeah, and Albert Wilson is someone who I read that you we need to look out for. Uh he sat out all last year, but apparently he's he's looked real good in uh training camp, so Maybe that's someone. Maybe that's someone we got to keep an eye on too. Moving on to their second strength, and this should come to as no surprise as Justin and I already kind of talked about it. But it's head coach Brian Flores' his leadership, and Flores is one of the best coaches in the NFL, in my opinion. Similarly to the Steelers, I never feel like this game is ever an easy out. Um, at least the first game against the Dolphins and even though the Bills have had great success against the Dolphins under McDermott you have to respect Flores for what he's done so far he's gotten this young team he's gotten the most out of this young team he went 5-11 and in his first year and then last year he went 10-6 and and missed the playoffs we already mentioned this in our last podcast that Winning games in the NFL is really hard, and you can't accidentally win 10 games. 
So the fact that they won 10 games and missed the playoff just shows how competitive the AFC, the AFC was just last year. And I, I respect him. I think he's doing a good job down there. Yeah, I think he's doing a great job with the team. The only thing I'll really say against Flores is I feel like the, the two of fit situation last year, uh, I don't like his handling of that. I feel like he got the worst of both worlds where you kind of didn't give two of that extra time to develop and play through the game scenarios with the game on the line when you're flip-flopping them for fits to go finish a game. Um, but then you also miss the playoffs. And, oh, yeah, Fitz is also out of town now. Um, so, personally, I, I kind of get it. You know, you want to you want your team to be in the playoffs and whatnot. But also, how many situations is Tua going to run into this year where, you know, game's on the line, there's two minutes left, and, and now he might have to take his growing pains this year um so that that's my only real knock on Flores is I I did not agree with with his handling of the quarterback room last year yeah that was a little strange wasn't it it's like all right we're gonna start Tua but then we're gonna go back to Fitzpatrick and then no no no, we're gonna put Tua in but okay he's not really doing like let's inject instant offense like that like you know the the meme with the guy sweaty like and he's like choosing between the buttons. Develop my quarterback. Like, Fitz throws it forty yards down the field, getting his head ripped off. It, it's like, hmm, instant offense. Fitz. <laughs> Let's move on here. And the third strength, which I found a little interesting, but I could I could see it, is that they have a young offensive line, and their O line is very cheap. It's definitely towards the bottom of the league in terms of cap spending. They spent about $17 million on their offensive line. It's actually second to last in terms of spending in the NFL. Although PFF says that they're ranked 29th in the league. So on paper, there's not a lot of value there. Definitely towards the bottom of the league. But if you're a Dolphins fan, apparently there's a lot to look forward to. They were ranked even lower last year but they took a step forward. And if this young group can take another step forward again this year, then that's just even more value out of a position. And the fact that you're second to last in the league and spend and spending at a position. And if you can kind of hit middle, middle of the pack with that kind of money, that's great. And I know as bills fan bills fans, at least for me personally, Dollar value is important. I mean, last year, the Bills had the number one most expensive defensive line in the league. What did that yield us? Nothing. Yeah. What are your thoughts about this offensive line? Yeah, this is this is kind of an example of how I hate to see it, but the Dolphins, I feel like, are building an organization the right way. They kind of are building around the quarterback so they can all kind of grow together. I think they started three rookies last year on the offensive line, um, mm-hmm. which, you know, looks a little sketchy at times in your first year or two. Um, but they're also growing all together and whatnot, and it, it kind of reminds me of guys like Bean and McDermott would like where they have some positional versatility. Um, you have some 
big bodies, some athleticism. Um, so, you know, being that they're all so young, we don't really know long-term who's going to pan out and be long-term starters. Might be one of them, might be three of them. Um, but I do mm-hmm. think that they took steps in the right direction. And I think it'll be an interesting test for both the Bills and the Dolphins on, you know, can we beat the more inexperienced line and can they hold up against our revamped pass rush? Right. Moving on to their next strength, it was signing Jacoby Brissett. And I look at this the same way as how the Bills signed Mitchell Trubisky, so we won't spend a lot of a lot of time on this, but Trubisky is not the worst QB2 you can have in this league, and he knows this division very well since he was a part of the Patriots. He can go 500 for you, so I think it was a solid signing, and it's a good QB room. Yeah, I... I would have almost liked to for to have seen more of like a clipboard holding kind of quarterback to help him, you know, learning the ropes and all the things he's seen. Um, I think Jacoby Brissett is almost like too good of a backup there that, mm-hmm. you know, it might be kind of the fit situation again last year where, you know, if the fans start seeing him struggle a little bit, they're starting to call for Brissett to come in. I, maybe that just goes back to my quarterback controversy days as a Bills fan. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I, I do like Brissett as a quarterback, and I think of the two right now, he's the more talented or the the better current quarterback. I think Tua offers much better long-term prospects. Yeah, and the one thing I'll say about Fitz, and we won't spend a lot of time on him, is that when you throw Fitzpatrick out there, you really don't know what you're going to get. And that's the crazy thing about crazy. him. Like, it, it's it's like you can get Fitzmagic or Fitzpatrick. So that's, that's what you're rolling with. Anyways, moving on. And their last strength is taking a chance on Jalen Phillips, the edge out of Miami. And it could be a huge payoff. But it all lies on his shoulders. You know, he did medically retire at one point, and I know you did some scouting in terms of you know this position, so maybe this is your area of expertise, but from what I hear, there's a lot of optimism for a guy like him if you're a Dolphins fan. Yeah, I don't. I don't, honestly don't think this is too far off of the Bills pick of Rousseau, and it just happens to be kind of ironic that they're from the same school. Um, but there, there were big swings at the plate, for for different reasons um but in the same way that Rousseau could be a huge a huge swing in a huge swing in a hit at bat um Jalen Phillips is very similar to to that for me they got great draft value for him if he pans out and you know he he was probably taken right off of a lot of teams boards because he at one point just was done with football um but if you can if you can unlock the talent that he has there, um, he could be a real solid contributor. Real, yeah, the the sky is the ceiling for him, um, especially when you yeah. when you just got rid of Shaq Loss and you freed up more set uh, more snaps for him and whatnot. If you can get into his potential, I think they got a real steal of a pick there. For sure. Now let's transition to some of the weaknesses of this team according to Sporkita and number one which I did not know but 
they have a lot of tight ends on this roster. So they got Mike Asiki, Adam Shaheen, uh, Durham Smythe, and Hunter Long. So they signed Adam Shaheen to a contract extension last fall that locks him in for two more years. They got, again, four tight ends on, on this roster who are all capable of being a tight end one from what I can, what I'm reading into, which is kind of overkill in my position. And Gusecki's also entering his final year of his rookie contract. And I think he's the best one of them all. So I'm not really sure why they invested a draft pick in Hunter Long in the third round last year. At least I think that's where they took him. But it does seem like they're pretty deep at tight end. And maybe there was an opportunity to, you know, get some draft capital for maybe one of them. But the room's crowded and they might, maybe they could have freed up a spot for another position, maybe an offensive line depth. Yeah, I agree Forrest heavy there, but I actually don't hate them taking Hunter Long this past year. Um, like mm. you said, Gusecki's coming into a contract year. And he's so good. He's been a beast at times, but he's also been kind of inconsistent, a little streaky. He disappears a little bit at times. Slow developing. Yeah, slow developing position. But that being said, you know, if you're going into a contract year and you don't want to wait till the end of this year to be like, ah, maybe we can't give him the money that he's going to get on the market based on what we've seen because somebody else wants to bet on his upside and then be behind the eight ball on that. So I don't hate the pick of, of Hunter Long. I do think Gusecki is, is the best tight end in that group. And I feel like part of us overvalues Gusecki a little bit because he ruins our day every time we play them. And it's about the only guy on their team that we seem to consistently not be able to contain. But, you know, that's how we are with covering tight ends for the last ever. Yeah, yeah, and I, w- I would definitely take, you know, I would I would take Gusecki on this uh, tight end room if we could get him in, into one Bills drive somehow. Uh, let's move on to the second weakness, and that's that they kind of have a weak pass rush, and you alluded to this when we were talking about Jalen Phillips when they shipped off Shaq Lawson, but outside of Jalen Phillips, the Dolphins really don't have much to address the edge positions. Um uh, and, yeah, it's just kind of, I guess, a weak spot on this defense. Yeah, overall the pass rush there doesn't scare me very much. I think their strength is more towards the secondary. So we'll we'll see what happens there. But it's, it's not a big area of concern for me going into the game. Yeah. And number three, there's a lack of running backs depth there. And the Dolphins, in my opinion, use more of like a committee of running backs. But their starter is Gaskin. You know, the running back room is versatile, and that's a huge advantage. But being in a pass-heavy offense with little to no run game will not benefit Tua, in my personal opinion. Kind of like last year when, with the Bills, like, all right, we're a pass-heavy team, but we can't run the ball. And we need to learn how to run the ball for situations like, I don't know, like that first game against the Chiefs, for example, where... We definitely needed it, but we couldn't do it. Yeah, the 
their running back room is not not full of names that are gonna strike you as like top ten running backs in the league. I do like Miles Gaskin. Uh a little bursty. He's always seeming to make make some plays here and there. Um he's definitely my favorite of the group, but uh Selvin Ahmed his he's given us some fits at times too. Um I think this is going to be a big uh, game to key in on just taking away whatever the running backs offer them and challenge Tua to beat you. Yes, yes. And moving on to, I guess this is a bit of a stretch in terms of weakness, but they referenced the Xavier Howard situation where he, you know, he wanted to get traded. But the Dolphins did restructure Howard's contract that seemed to be a fair compromise after he demanded to be traded as i just mentioned so we got more guaranteed money you know they rescinded the fines that they were going to give him more incentives etc however the dolphins said that they will you know renegotiate a new deal in the off season in line with the market based on his health and his performance in this 2021 season but this is where I guess I, I I think it might be a weakness, and I understand it. He deserves to get paid, but this this might be a distraction, right? Like you have your two cornerbacks locked up, and one's disgruntled. You you kind of figure out that situation with them right now. But what if the Dolphins can't match what he wants in the off season? Then it starts all over again, and you might have to just trade him away anyway. So, I I understand why this is this is a weakness, but it doesn't have to be a weakness. Yeah, I I agree and disagree. I don't think it's a mm-hmm. really huge distraction right now or anything. A lot of times people like to point it like, oh, people in the locker room don't want to hear about your money. That those guys are a family in a locker room, and they want to see. They want to see their boys get paid. They want to get paid. Everybody gets excited for each other. And they kind of, it's kind of a band-aid fix for now. But they did come to terms that he could. I agree. Yeah, they came to terms that he could agree on. He's happy right now. And what happens at the end of the season is a different ball game. Um, But for right now, any any situation where Xavier Howard's on the field, that's... Oh, it's in the wind column for That's them. That's great yeah, for them. He's yeah, he's a great cornerback. Yeah, and if, you know, I, I'm a Dolphins fan, I, I need to have Xavier Howard on the for field. Sure. Yeah, I had like 10 interceptions last year. So for him to potentially, for this situation to not be over is kind of, you know, if, if I was a Dolphins fan, I'd just be like, oh, when is it going to happen again? Like, <laughs> But maybe that's just how I think as a Bills fan from time to time. And then the last one, which I I didn't necessarily agree with, was that their special teams, I guess, isn't that great, which I don't I don't necessarily believe. I, I thought they had a pretty good special team performance last year. I mean, they lost Matt Hawk, but we, you know, obviously signed him, and they got a former Pro Bowl kicker and Matt Palaladi, I believe is how you pronounce his name. Apologize if I didn't pronounce his name correctly. And they got uh, Sanders kicking, who 
set franchise records, I believe. So I think their special team is fine. Yeah, and I don't know enough about their special teams units to tell you in one way or another, but they got Jason Sanders back there, and that dude's a beast. Plus they have the other Ferguson brothers, so they're in good shape. Yeah, yeah. So it would be a real interesting matchup against the Bills special teams as, again, I always feel like this game – is never easy especially since we're going to them week two so let's just transition to things we do want to see and things we don't want to see this week we you know each of us have only one thing to say Uh, so i'll start here with things that i want to see number one thing that i want to see is and this might be a cop-out but i need to see josh allen come out strong it looked like in week one, Josh was looking for the deeper balls, wasn't necessarily taking what the defense was giving him. And I mentioned this before, but you can't go broke making a profit. Plus, the defensive pass rush isn't as good as the Steelers. So the offensive line should be able to hold up a little bit more, give Josh some opportunities to make the right reads or you know, extend the plays plays a little more and show us more of that 42 million dollar man that we know we know that deserves that money yeah mine's kind of in the same vein as yours but i'm a little different angle at it uh i kind of want to see josh come out and start dealing i'd like to see more from gabe davis um but i want to see like eight nine people getting targets I, I feel like we, yes, our offense runs to the wide receivers, but, you know, there was, there was games last year where it was like any time you thought you were keying in on where he's going next, he's got Gilliam in the flat, or McKenzie came into the game and ran a quick slant. It just seems like the, the, targets, the target share wasn't what we kind of got used to last year. Um, so for me, it's it's kind of like an overall balance to the offense. I want to see the running backs a little bit more involved. I want to see Gabe Davis in the game a little bit more. And something mm-hmm. I touched on earlier, I want to see Zach Moss active this week. Yeah, spreading the rock around would be really nice. Um, and I have no idea how the Dolphins are going to approach this, if they're going to go with that shell style defense that the bills have seen as more recently or if they're gonna play to their roots and just man up because that's really the strength of this dolphins secondary in my opinion like they can just man you up no matter what (laughs) uh let's transition to things we don't want to see justin do you want to leave this category off yeah so what i don't want to see is turnovers um I, I know we saw Josh Allen had a couple fumbles there, um, but this Miami team last year, I think, kind of overachieved um, with their like record-wise. Um, you know, they ended up with 10, uh, 10 wins, but as you just mentioned, Xavier Howard with 10 interceptions. Um, their defense was very opportunistic and gave their offenses offense a lot more chances. Um, so I think in this type of game, if you can stay ahead of the turnover battle or just have it be even, 
I think you have a very good chance of winning the game. I think it's all about giving Josh as many opportunities as you can and, and really limiting the amount of opportunities they get. Yeah, toxic differential plays. The team that usually has more of them ends up uh, losing the game. So I'm not trying to see any turnovers from the Bills. What I also don't want to see, and which I don't know if you agree with me, but I don't want to see lopsided officiating again. And I don't like to blame games on refs, but the Bills were flagged a lot during this week one matchup against the Steelers. And some of them I understand, like Darrell Williams and Deion Dawkins, they were holding a bunch, a bunch. So I get that. But I don't understand some of the questionable 50-50 calls, if you will. Like, for example, that um, that P.I. on uh, with... Levi Walls and, oh God, who's there? Canadian Megatron. Chase Claypool. <laughs> Canadian Megatron. <laughs> Canadian Megatron. <laughs> I, you know, I just, it just felt like the Steelers got all the fit of the 50-50 calls in their favors and the Bills didn't get one. Like, like that holding call uh, against Tredavious White where he intercepted the ball. There was also, there should have been a holding call on their left tackle against Jerry Hughes because he came up the field and pretty much got held all the way there and could have sacked Big Ben before the ball got even thrown. But, you know, it just didn't happen. We didn't we didn't get a call really, nothing really landed on our side of the field in terms of those ticky-tacky calls. And I just wasn't a huge favor of it. And... I wasn't even really aware of this until I listened to Aaron Quinn of Cover One and, you know, just the Cover One guys in general. I listened to all the post-game podcast shows from most platforms because I, I like listening to everyone's opinions and how they take the games. So I definitely got to give credit here to them. It's just, if you're going to call a game like that, and this is what they said, and I totally agree. If you're going to call a game ticky-tacky, one way you got to do it the other way because at that point like how are we supposed to know how to adjust right right so yeah like okay yeah i'll we can't do that then call it that way. yeah i please i really i really hate being being at the end of the game you know feeling like we kind of got screwed by the refs um mm-hmm that being said I, I i do feel like we were on the wrong side of it and i do think we we earned a lot of those ourselves. Um, mm-hmm. But I guess it would be something I would like to see is that if, if you're going to have a, a game that feels like you're playing the officials too, then be a good enough team to just overcome that as well. Um, like, oh, we have a 15-yard com- mm-hmm. completion comeback on a holding call, and now it's first and 20. Go do it. You know, yeah, and I we have a good enough team to overcome that, and we we saw that last year with the one game where Josh is asking the officials how many times we got to score a touchdown, and guess what, we scored another touchdown. So I think overall yeah. it just wasn't our best performance, and I I don't think we see many games that look like that this year. Right, and let's transition to the last portion of this podcast, and that's our game day predictions. It's going to be a hot game down in Miami, Bills Mafia. But 
I think the Bills are a little backed up against the wall at the moment. And as strange as that might as sound, since it's only week two of the NFL season, I do think there is some truth into that, you know, coming down from those high expectations where you, you even saw it on the TV. Well, you didn't, but, you know, they said, who do you think is going to win the Super Bowl? And like three out of four reporters uh, on CBS said, Bills, Bills, Bills. And one said Chiefs. I think we kind of came back down to earth and this team might have come back down to earth, or they should. And I think they're going to bounce back after that lackluster performance and get a win down in Miami. At least that's what I hope. Yeah, my my biggest concern going into this game is, I mean, other than the opposition itself, is, is the heat and humidity down in Miami. Um, I know we saw uh, one or two of the practices in particular when it was like 90 degrees in August and there was players out with cramps and dehydration and and whatnot. And while the weather's a bit milder here now, we're going right back into that type of atmosphere. And we're only in week two of the regular season where these guys still the games are a whole different situation than how the practices go. Um, so that that's my concern is are we going to see anybody missing plays because of cramps or feeling dehydrated or anything like that? And it, it, is it going to cost one of our players being off the field for three plays where, where a big play happens? Um, mm-hmm. All that being said, I, I do think that we win this game. Uh like 28 17 31 17 somewhere in that range i I think Hmm. we're gonna come out with a with a real nasty edge to us after an embarrassing loss at home right right i won't give a score prediction just because i i just don't like doing that i don't know (laughs) yeah but i like i said i am on the record for a bill's w But I think that's going to do it for tonight's episode. Go ahead and like, comment, subscribe, and review our podcast, as well as other amazing shows that you can find on the Built in Buffalo Network. As always, we're looking for great guests to be on our show, so reach out to our social media and podcasting platforms if you're interested by searching up The Wandering Buffalo Podcast. Justin, where can the people find you? You can find me on any social media at jgods22. And you can find me on social media by searching 2Changs. And that's going to do it for tonight's episode. Oh, and if you are interested into listening a little bit more about behind... Well, I guess if you're interested in going behind enemy lines a little more, you should check out uh, Buffalo on the Brain's most recent episode. Vince has uh, you know, a Miami Dolphins... You know, really established podcaster and it was just a great episode that i listened to today while mowing the lawn at you know at one point i had to stop mowing the lawn and you know what should have taken me 30 minutes really took like an hour and 30 minutes <laughs> because i was like so into it so definitely reach out to vince he does great stuff over on his show and uh just a great guy in general All right, well, like I said, that's going to do it for us, and uh, hopefully next week we'll be talking about a W. Go Bills. Go Bills.
BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. 